Hi there, this is Darren Spoo, pastor at First Baptist Church in Tulsa, and welcome to our weekly message podcast. We would invite you to join us in person Sunday morning at 8.30 and 11 o'clock in downtown Tulsa, or check out our webpage at tulsafbc.org. God bless you, and have a great week. So we are walking through kind of the usual suspects, the normal people that we see in the Christmas story, and for each one of these individuals or or collections of people, these parties, I just wanted to identify one characteristic that we say, here's something to admire about them, but also here's something that we can apply to our lives. So we start with Mary a few weeks ago. Uh, Mary was just available to the Lord. I'm the Lord's servant, may it be to me, as you have said. And so that, that ability just to say, God, I'm, I'm yours, and that, that availability. And there was Joseph, and Joseph was attentive as God had to guide him step by step through this journey of fatherhood, not at all like he anticipated. God kind of guided him, but he had to be attentive. And I want to pull those two together, and I've used this quote by Corey Ten Boone several times this season, if the devil can't make you bad, he'll make you busy. And I believe that's absolutely true. Why do you think this time of year is the busiest? And so when we slow down just a bit and we say, you know, I don't have to be so busy, I want to be available and attentive to what God wants. Then we throw the shepherds into the mix of this and the the joyfulness of their experience encountering Christ. And listen, if you're living in a life that lacks joy, no one's forcing you to live that way. You can choose to have joy, and it becomes a part of us as we're, we're just engaged in who Jesus really is. So now I want to bring us to the last group. And we're going to talk about the Magi uh, this morning before we, we hit a couple more individuals next week. The Magi, um, th- what they embody for me, and this is not a, a word you're going to find too often in the Bible, they embody curiosity. I mean, here is a group of men that they traveled a long way to come and to see what God was doing in a land that was not their own and a people that that they spoke a completely different language. They were curious. So, just for a moment, would would we take apart what curiosity is? Curiosity is you're interested in what has happened. You look around and you're interested in what's happening, but more than that, curiosity is about um, having some insight. What does this mean? So, it's more than just being interested in events. It looks for insight to say, what does this mean for me? What does this mean for our world? What does this mean for us? An example, uh, in 1971, Apollo 14 went to the moon and back, and that was a trip, if you remember, um, uh, who was it? Alan Shepard played golf on the moon. If you've ever heard that story, that was Apollo 14. But there's another astronaut on board, Stuart Rusa, who uh, I just learned this morning is actually a native of Oklahoma. He was a native of Claremore. What good can come from Claremore? Well, I guess there's a, an astronaut. So Stuart Rusa went to the moon, but before he worked for NASA, he was in forestry. And so he had an idea that with him to the moon, he would take about 500 seeds of, of pine and, um, and ash trees and sweet gum trees. He took all these seeds literally to the moon and back, and when he returned, these seeds were planted all over the United States and all around the world, and they're called moon trees. They're trees that actually have been to the moon and back. And I made a comment this morning in the first service that I thought the closest one was in Atchison, Kansas. Guess what? Because he was a native of Claremore, there's a moon tree planted in Claremore, Oklahoma today. I find things like that 
absolutely interesting, okay? But what does that mean? What, what insight could be rendered from that? If it's okay, let's just hang on to that thought. We'll return to it at the end. Here's why curiosity is so important. Listen, if Satan can't make you bad, he'll make you busy. And if he can't make you busy, he'll make you bored. I believe one of the ways that Satan tries to suck the joy out of life is to suck the joy out of life. And you, you, you lose the mystery and the curiosity of what it means to be a person made in the image of God and deeply loved by the Savior. And so the Magi embody this curiosity. Let's take a look at them together. I'm going to start at the top and read through Matthew chapter 2 again. Matthew 2 verse 1, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, magi from the east came to Jerusalem. So I'm curious about these men who were curious. Who exactly are they? And actually, we know very little about the identity of the Magi. The Magi themselves were Persians, and they were of a priestly caste in their home country. And they believed in astrology that the movement of the stars and the destinies of men were somehow tied together. And so in their stargazing, somehow they got a message that in Judea, there was a king who had been born, and they wanted to come out of curiosity and meet this king. So you probably don't know the name Jonathan Goldsmith, but you've seen his face. He is the world's most interesting man on the Dos Equis commercials. I know when you see a beer commercial, you turn the channel. <laughs> no, you don't. Yeah. So he's an actor. He's played about 300 different roles. But what's interesting is he really is interesting. Jonathan Goldsmith, I mean, he kind of hit this. Uh, he, he hit the big time when he became the world's most interesting man. But he, he gave an interview not too long ago. He said, actually, the commercial is the least fun part about my life. I saved a man in a blizzard who would have frozen to death. I saved a woman in the ocean who would have drowned, and I saved a dog that fell through the ice. Get this, he really is the world's most interesting man, okay? He's done some fascinating things. The Magi are fascinating individuals. We don't know all about them, but we know that they model for us this idea of curiosity. And along the way, they encounter a few other people. So. They came to Jerusalem. Where do you start looking for a king? You start in the capital. So they went to Jerusalem, um, and they asked, verse 2, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose. We have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed. Now, that word has multiple meanings. He was disturbed, but also you need to know this about King Herod. He was a disturbed man. So he was very maniacal and manipulative in his leadership. He worked under the authority of Rome to be king of the Jews. And get this, he had to manipulate and work the system to get there. And along the way, he killed anyone who had threatened his power, including his wife, two of his sons, and a brother-in-law. He eliminated anyone who threatened his power. And it took him a lifetime to get 
as far as being the king of the Jews, and now here comes a person who is born king of the Jews. He didn't have to work for it. He didn't have to manipulate. This was his birthright. And so Herod was disturbed, and I am so sorry if you grew up under an abusive parent. Because I've heard this story many, many times, that when my mom or dad was mad as an abusive parent, I learned to keep a very low profile. I learned not to make a sound. I learned to stay out of their way until the mood passed. So when it says that Herod was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him, they're wondering who's going to pay for this quote-unquote good news with their lives. So I'm curious as to why Herod is so curious. And he's curious because he wants to preserve his power. There's nothing in him that's about worship. Herod can't see beyond the lens of himself. By the way, the challenge this season is going to be seeing beyond yourself, to seeing what God is doing in and around us and in our world and in Christ. So it's interesting, after the Magi deal with Herod, He'll come up again in a later scene, but pretty much the Magi don't pay him much mind after this. God warns them in a dream to not even go back to Herod and report. So if you go to Yellowstone Park, uh, they they try to, to be very careful about putting trash out because grizzlies will feed off the trash that people leave behind. But as much as they guard against it, where you have people, you're going to have trash left out. And so when grizzlies find, second strongest bear in North America... When grizzlies find food, they eat it, and no other animal is going to come around while a grizzly's eating except a skunk. A skunk can saddle right up to the grizzly, eat right along beside him. Now, that, that grizzly could eliminate that skunk with one swipe of its paw, but the grizzly has learned from experience it's just not worth it. It's just not. So the Magi, here's this king telling them what to do, and God says, he's not worth your time. He is not worth your time. Don't focus on, interesting, don't focus on political maneuvering. Focus on Christ coming into the world. That's where your attention ought to be. So Herod doesn't know the answer about where this one born king of the Jews would be born, so he calls in the experts. Um, Verse 3, Herod was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. Uh, Then he called together the people's chief priests, teachers of the law, and asked them where the Messiah would be born. They gave the answer, in Bethlehem and Judea, for this is what the prophet has written. So this is Micah 5.2 at the end with a splash of 2 Samuel 5.2. And I didn't mix up my numbers. It just so happens that that works out that way. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler, and here's the Second Samuel 5, 2, who will shepherd my people Israel. So it's interesting, as you read really the whole first part of Matthew, I don't know what to call them, but I call them little Davidic diamonds, these little hints and these little innuendos about David. Now, obviously, Bethlehem was David's hometown, but this last part, this 2 Samuel 5, 2, and he will shepherd my people Israel, that was used in reference to David himself when he became king. And so you, hear, you have this little Davidic note that's kind of pinged there. Pay attention to that because we'll come back here to that in just a moment. But 
while I'm curious about the Magi, I'm curious as to why Herod is so curious. Well, it's about preserving his power. When it comes to the religious people, I'm curious as to why they are not curious. Because they show up, they give the religious answer, and then they disappear completely from the narrative. It's like, okay, we, we did that, now we go back to our daily routine. So how many of you, um, probably a greater number in this service than in the first service, how many of you grew up with those little offering envelopes that you give your offering every week, but it had a series of check boxes that if you're going to be like Jesus, you better check every box. <laughs> offering given, harass somebody to come to church with you, um, you know, you have all these little check boxes that you have to do. Now, there's nothing wrong with that, but if we're not careful, our faith becomes checking the list, right? The religious people show up, they're asked a question, they give an answer, check the box, and they go back about their business, and all the while, they, in checking the box, they completely missed out on what God was doing right in front of them, right under their noses. I appreciate Marissa Carter, who read our scripture for us. She made this observation in her study of this passage, and I, and I think this is, this is a coincidence, but I, but I think it's a very interesting coincidence and a very interesting insight. Notice the Magi, they follow this pattern of seeking for Christ. They have to stand up to the powers that be in order to do so. And then they brought Jesus and Mary and Joseph their gifts. There's somebody else in the Bible who follows that same pattern. It's not in the Gospel of Matthew, it's in the Gospel of John. It's not Magi from the East, it's Nicodemus, one of the religious people. He sought Jesus at night in secret. He had to stand up to the authorities. When the Sanhedrin turned against Jesus, he was one of the only voices that said, maybe God's up to more here than what we know, and he was quickly silenced. And he too would bring Jesus gifts, not at his birth, but at his burial. He would bring some of these same spices. All that being said, if you've done the lap of religious duties, if you've gone from Easter to Christmas to Easter and Christmas to Easter and Christmas so many times, it's easy. If the devil can't make you bad, he'll make you busy. If he can't make you busy, he'll make you bored. And pretty soon our faith just becomes a checkbox. It doesn't have to be that way. Your curiosity can be reignited just as Nicodemus was. Curiosity reignited, not only interested in what's happening, but insight what does this mean? So now we come full circle back to the Magi. Skip down to verse 9. After they had heard the king, we've met the, the politicians, we met the religious people. By the way, they were so busy in their politics and their religion that they missed the larger message. Verse 9, after they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen rose ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. A lot of speculation over what the star actually is. I think we can get sidetracked and miss the main message. I do want to say this. Um, earlier this year, this summer, went to um, an observatory in far west Texas out near Fort Davis in the Fort Davis Mountains. High up in the mountains, there's darkness all around that part of west Texas, and there's a great view of the night sky. So we go to the observatory, we've never been to one before, and as we're, uh, the sun's going down, darkness is shrouding that area, the docent begins to give some information, and we're outside under the cover of darkness. As she's speaking, there's a comet 
that comes streaking from the east right behind her head. It is the coolest thing. I was like, this, is anybody else seeing this? And so as she's talking to us, this comet is zipping right over her head, and she says, okay, I know what y'all are looking at now. Let me tell you, it's not a comet. It's Elon Musk. <laughs> and the Starlink satellites, he just deployed several hundred of them, and they were fanning out. It looked like a single comet, and, but then as it went overhead, there were hundreds of these dots zipping through the sky. So that was cool. But then we went to the telescope, and we looked through the ocular device and saw Saturn up close. Let me tell you, that wasn't cool. That was awe-inspiring. We can do some cool things because of technology, but only God can bring all. And should we not be curious about that? So I've told you before, look where Scripture repeats. Wherever it repeats, that's what you need to pay attention to. So twice it says, and they saw, okay? So verse 10, when they saw the star, they were overjoyed, and on coming to the house, they saw the child. So the Magi saw two things, and here's where I want us to be curious. Not only what happened, but what does this mean? By seeing the star, and we've talked for years, as long as you've been in the church, we talk about the star of Bethlehem, and it's so easy to think about the astrological phenomenon and what that might be, but, it, but miss the eternal message. Listen to me very carefully. Any time in the Bible that creation does something unusual, it means the Creator is trying to speak. Anytime something happens in creation, the Creator is trying to say something. What is he saying here? A king is born. A king is being born. There's another Old Testament echo of David here. If you remember, David had a son Solomon when Solomon took the throne. There's a queen who came from Sheba, Ethiopia, and she brought spices and gifts. Okay. Here the same thing is happening. Now here's another son of David, and from far away, people are coming to acknowledge that maybe his kingship has more, less to do than just the Jewish people. Maybe this has something to do with the whole world. The communicator, the, the creator is communicating, here is a king for all people. Now, not only did they see the star, they saw the child. You know, as I, I think about the nativity scenes here around the church, some are, are made of glass, and some are made of wood, and some are made of ceramic, some are made of bone, all these very interesting nativities that we have. And we have Jesus here in the middle. But God didn't come in glass. He didn't come in wood. He didn't come in ceramic. God came in flesh. God with us as Savior. So I want us to see one more thing, because I believe there's a message here with the Magi as they arrive, as they find this King, this Savior, they start opening gifts, okay? And it says that there are 
treasures that they opened. Now, don't go past that word. This, this, this wasn't trinkets. This was treasure. So here's my, my favorite moment this year on this platform. Uh, you might remember a couple of months ago, I was trying to give an illustration about going through tough times, and, and I, I was using the illustration of a Stradivari violin. And so I did that in the first service, and in the second service, as I'm in the middle of the, the illustration, I go, oh, I've got an orchestra here behind me. And so I turned around to Nick. In fact, can, Bill, can we just put the picture up there? I said, oh, let me grab this violin, and I'll show you. So I just, I took Nick's violin, and I used it as an illustration. Okay, now, what I was thinking, oh, this violin, you know, probably cost a couple of hundred bucks. I didn't know. Nick is serious. He probably has the same insurance on it that I do on my car, right? So that's the, kind of, that's the kind of instrument that is. So I didn't realize it until afterwards, but when I took his violin, I want you to zoom in on this picture for me, Bill, if you would. <laughs> that right there. eye-popping, right? I mean, that's just, that's a, that, mo, that look captures it all. Like, do I really trust this guy, right? Because I took from him not a trinket. I took from him his treasure. Okay, we can take that picture down now. We need to post that to social media. That's just really too good, right? So these magi, they start opening these gifts, and no doubt they were eye-popping to Mary and Joseph because they were impoverished, what Mary and Joseph didn't know is they were about to have to take a trip to Egypt, right? And here God had already provided what they needed to make that journey. But for us, these treasures should be eye-popping as well. Gold represents royalty. Gold is always the metal of a king. Frankincense. In fact, I want to take the frankincense and the myrrh together. So you have gold here, and it, it, it represents royalty. Frankincense and myrrh, those are interesting to pair together because frankincense is used in worship. Um, if you've ever been in a Catholic church especially, and there's, there's incense that's being burned, and so that spice is the image of divinity. But myrrh is not divinity. Myrrh is what Nicodemus would bring 31 years later when Jesus was buried, and it's the symbol of humanity. Listen, this ought to be eye-popping for us, that here we have one who is king and who is also divine and human altogether, curious. And, and we should pay attention not only to what, what has happened, but what does this mean? How do we interpret this? How, what insight can we get from this? Well, let me go back to the moon trees. So in 1976, Nation's Bicentennial, we had all of these seeds that had been to the moon and back, and Gerald Ford, then president of the United States, distributed them to, to 50 states and to all over the world. And he said, these trees represent our achievement and our accomplishment. That's what that meant. By the way, it's a pretty good meaning, right? But what happens here does not represent our achievement and our accomplishment. In fact, what happens here at Bethlehem reveals what we cannot do. We cannot restore our relationship to God 
on our own. We cannot find our way home to Him until we have a guide. We cannot be restored except by sacrifice. And by the way, Jesus too would plant a tree, and then He would plant Himself on it for us. This is not about our achievement. This is about what we need done for us. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, that whoever believes in Him will never perish but have eternal life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him may be saved. God with us. Let's stand together and let's pray. Father, we need this this morning. In all the cool things in our achievement-oriented world, it's good to have those reminders of those things that we can accomplish on our own. And maybe the things that matter most, we need somebody else to do for us, including love us, seek us out, and return us to a right relationship with you. Thank you, Jesus, that you are king. Thank you that you are divine. And thank you that you are human. Thank you that you have given us in the fullness of your identity, everything we need for eternity, including grace. So we sing of that grace now out of gratitude and worship and thanks to you in the name of Christ. Amen. Thanks so much for listening to our weekly message podcast. At the end of each worship service on Sunday morning, I offer a simple blessing, and I offer that blessing to you today. May the Lord bless you and keep you, May the Lord make his face shine upon you, and may God grant you peace, both now and forever. Amen.